Chapters 43 and 44 of Omu. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Omu, A Narrative of Adventures in the South Seas by Herman Melville. Chapter 43. One is judged by the company he keeps. Although, from its novelty, life at Captain Bob's was pleasant enough for the time, there were some few annoyances connected with it, anything but agreeable to a soul of sensibility. Prejudiced against us by the malevolent representations of the consul and others, many worthy foreigners ashore regarded us as a set of lawless vagabonds, though, truth to speak, better-behaved sailors never stepped on the island, nor any who gave less trouble to the natives. But for all this, whenever we met a respectably dressed European, ten to one he shunned us by going over to the other side of the road. This was very unpleasant, at least to myself, though, certes, it did not prey upon the minds of the others. To give an instance, of a fine evening in Tahiti, but they are all fine evenings there, you may see a bevy of silk bonnets and parasols passing along the broom road, perhaps a band of pale little white urchins, sickly exotics, and oftener still, sedate elderly gentlemen with canes, at whose appearance the natives here and there slink into their huts. These are the missionaries, their wives and children, taking a family airing. Sometimes, by the by, they take horse, and ride down to Point Venus and back, a distance of several miles. At this place is settled the only survivor of the first missionaries that landed, an old, white-headed, saint-like man, by the name of Wilson, the father of our friend the consul. The little parties on foot were frequently encountered, and recalling as they did so many pleasant recollections of home and the ladies, I really longed for a dress-coat and beaver, that I might step up and pay my respects. But, situated as I was, this was out of the question. On one occasion, however, I received a kind inquisitive glance from a matron in gingham. Sweet lady, I have not forgotten her. Her gown was a plaid. But a glance like hers was not always bestowed. One evening, passing the veranda of a missionary's dwelling, the dame, his wife, and a pretty blonde young girl, with ringlets, were sitting there enjoying the sea breeze, then coming in, all cool and refreshing, from the spray of the reef. As I approached, the old lady peered hard at me, and her very cap seemed to convey a prim rebuke. The blue English eyes by her side were also bent on me. But, oh heavens, what a glance to receive from such a beautiful creature! As for the mob-cap, not a fig did I care for it, but to be taken for anything but a cavalier, by the ringleted one, was absolutely unendurable. I resolved on a courteous salute to show my good breeding, if nothing more, but happening to wear a sort of turban, hereafter to be particularly alluded to, there was no taking it off and putting it on again with anything like dignity. At any rate, then, here goes a bow but another difficulty presented itself. My loose frock was so voluminous that I doubted whether any spinal curvature would be perceptible. "'Good evening, ladies,' exclaimed I at last, advancing winningly. "'A delightful air from the sea, ladies.' "'Hysterics and hard-shorn! Who would have thought it?' The young lady screamed, 
and the old one came near fainting. As for myself, I retreated in double-quick time, and scarcely drew breath until safely housed in the Calabooza. Chapter 44 Cathedral of Papawar, the Church of the Coconuts On Sundays I always attended the principal native church on the outskirts of the village of Papati, and not far from the Calabooza Baratani. It was esteemed the best specimen of architecture in Tahiti. Of late, they have built their places of worship with more reference to durability than formerly. At one time there were no less than thirty-six on the island, mere barns tied together with thongs which went to destruction in a very few years. One, built many years ago in this style, was a most remarkable structure. It was erected by Pomeroy the Second, who, on this occasion, showed all the zeal of a royal proselyte. The building was over seven hundred feet in length, and of a proportionate width. The vast ridgepole was, at intervals, supported by a row of thirty-six cylindrical trunks of the breadfruit tree, and, all round, the wall-plates rested on shafts of the palm. The roof, steeply inclining to within a man's height of the ground, was thatched with leaves, and the sides of the edifice were open. Thus spacious was the royal mission chapel of Papawar. At its dedication, three distinct sermons were, from different pulpits, preached to an immense concourse gathered from all parts of the island. As the chapel was built by the king's command, nearly as great a multitude was employed in its construction as swarmed over the scaffolding of the great temple of the Jews. Much less time, however, was expended. In less than three weeks from planting the first post, the last tier of palmetto leaves drooped from the eaves, and the work was done. Apportioned to the several chiefs and their dependents, the labor, though immense, was greatly facilitated by everyone's bringing his post, or his rafter, or his pole strung with thatching, ready for instant use. The materials thus prepared being afterwards secured together by thongs, there was literally neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was building. But the most singular circumstance connected with the South Sea Cathedral remains to be related. As well for the beauty as the advantages of such a site, the islanders love to dwell near the mountain streams and so a considerable brook, after descending from the hills and watering the valley, was bridged over in three places, and swept clean through the chapel. Flowing waters! What an accompaniment to the songs of the sanctuary, mingling with them the praises and thanksgivings of the green solitudes inland. But the chapel of the Polynesian Solomon has long since been deserted. Its thousand rafters of hibiscus have decayed and fallen to the ground, and now the stream murmurs over them in its bed. The present metropolitan church of Tahiti is very unlike the one just described. It is of moderate dimensions, boarded over, and painted white. It is furnished also with blinds, but no sashes. Indeed, were it not for the rustic thatch, it would remind one of a plain chapel at home. The woodwork was all done by foreign carpenters, of whom there are always several about Papati. Within, its aspect is unique, and cannot fail to interest a stranger. 
the rafters overhead are bound round with fine matting of variegated dyes and all along the ridge-pole these strappings hang pendant in alternate bunches of tassels and deep fringes of stained grass the floor is composed of rude planks regular aisles run between ranges of native settees bottomed with crossed braids of the coconut fibre and furnished with backs but the pulpit made of a dark lustrous wood and standing at one end is by far the most striking object it is preposterously lofty indeed a capital bird's-eye view of the congregation ought to be had from its summit nor does the church lack a gallery which runs round on three sides and is supported by columns of the coconut tree its facings are here and there daubed over with a tawdry blue and in other places without the slightest regard to uniformity patches of the same color may be seen in their ardor to decorate the sanctuary the converts must have borrowed each a brush full of paint and zealously daubed away at the first surface that offered as hinted the general impression is extremely curious little light being admitted and everything being of a dark color there is an indefinable indian aspect of duskiness throughout a strange woody smell also more or less invading every considerable edifice in polynesia is at once perceptible it suggests the idea of worm-eaten idols packed away in some old lumber-room at hand for the most part the congregation attending this church is composed of the better and wealthier orders the chiefs and their retainers in short the rank and fashion of the island this class is infinitely superior in personal beauty and general healthfulness to the marinhor or common people the latter having been more exposed to the worst and most debasing evils of foreign intercourse on sundays the former are invariably arrayed in their finery and thus appear to the best advantage nor are they driven to the chapel as some of their inferiors are to other places of worship on the contrary capable of maintaining a handsome exterior and possessing greater intelligence they go voluntarily in respect of the woodland colonnade supporting its galleries i called this chapel the church of the coconuts it was the first place for christian worship in polynesia that i had seen and the impression upon entering during service was all the stronger majestic-looking chiefs whose fathers had hurled the battle-club and old men who had seen sacrifices smoking upon the altars of oro were there and hark hanging from the bough of a breadfruit tree without a bell is being struck with a bar of iron by a native lad in the same spot the blast of the war conch had often resounded but to the proceedings within the place is well filled everywhere meet the eye the gay calico draperies worn on great occasions by the higher classes and forming a strange contrast of patterns and colors in some instances these are so fashioned as to resemble as much as possible european garments this is in excessively bad taste coats and pantaloons too are here and there seen but they look awkwardly enough and take away from the general effect but it is the array of countenances that most strikes you each is suffused with the peculiar animation of the polynesians when thus collected in large numbers 
every robe is rustling, every limb in motion, and an incessant buzzing going on throughout the assembly. The tumult is so great that the voice of the placid old missionary, who now rises, is almost inaudible. Some degree of silence is at length obtained through the exertions of half a dozen strapping fellows in white shirts and no pantaloons. Running in among the settees, they are at great pains to inculcate the impropriety of making a noise by creating a most unnecessary racket themselves. This part of the service was quite comical. There is a most interesting Sabbath school connected with the church, and the scholars, a vivacious mischievous set, were in one part of the gallery. I was amused by a party in the corner. The teacher sat at one end of the bench with a meek little fellow by his side. When the others were disorderly, this young martyr received a rap, intended probably as a sample of what the rest might expect if they didn't amend. Standing in the body of the church and leaning against a pillar was an old man, in appearance very different from others of his countrymen. He wore nothing but a coarse, scant mantle of faded tappa, and from his staring, bewildered manner, I set him down as an aged bumpkin from the interior, unaccustomed to the strange sights and sounds of the metropolis. This old worthy was sharply reprimanded for standing up, and thus intercepting the view of those behind. But not comprehending exactly what was said to him, one of the white-liveried gentry made no ceremony of grasping him by the shoulders and fairly crushing him down into a seat. During all this, the old missionary in the pulpit, as well as his associates beneath, never ventured to interfere, leaving everything to native management. With South Sea Islanders, assembled in any numbers, there is no other way of getting along. End of chapters 43 and 44 Recording by Tricia G.